It's a warm and cloudless Friday in late May. I'm in Gorham, New Hampshire, North Country, and I'm with this guy. I've been racing motorcycles since 1975. And just this year, I started racing motocross in the plus 60 class. You're no, yeah, I'm 59. Looking good, man. Uh, it's cool, man. This is Ray Bergeron, and right now we're in a shop, White Mountain ATV Rental. On the walls are speakers blasting classic rock, framed pictures of engines, and trail signs that read things like, stay on the trails or stay home. I'm here because we're about to go for a ride. My first ever on an ATV. So, and we're taking this on Main Street right now. We sure are, buddy. So you got guys my age that when we stop at the green light, we still look for cops over our shoulders. <laughs> Old habits never die. <laughs> you might actually that. mistake Ray for a cop. Salt and pepper hair, a little bit more salt nowadays, and clean shaven outside of a trademark mustache. Sorry, Ray. There's something else I should mention, and that's that the ATV we're in might not be what you're picturing. So what is this thing? What is? What are we in right here? We're in a Yamaha X4 four-seater. It's a sport utility model. Also referred to as an OHRV or side-by-side. Side-by-side because the seats are, well, side-by-side. It looks like something between a Jeep and a souped-up golf cart. And to be honest, I was a little hesitant jumping in, especially once we got on Main Street. But the ride was uniquely liberating, kind of like being in a convertible and then taking it into the woods. We jet from the downtown area with its restaurants and hotels to the major thoroughfare in town, Route 2, and after a few minutes, we turn into a parking lot onto a dirt road, a rail trail. Okay, this is the rail trail from Gorham to Berlin. Uh, a little higher up, a few miles up, is Cascade Falls. Really nice scenic highlight a lot of people go to. On one side of the trail is the Androscoggin River, which received a big-time cleanup after being named one of the country's dirtiest a few decades ago. On the other side, rising green cliffs of maples and spruce lead into Maine. Back on the trail, there's a buzz. Other riders have been anxiously waiting for this weekend, the first weekend riding trails open back up in Coas County. That includes Berlin residents Mike Bisson and his son, Jaden. How did you get involved in riding, or have you always been a rider? Uh, I bought it, my first one, in 2014. I bought a 15. Yep. Ordered it, four-seater, loved it. Bought this one, and I bought my son a 1000S. And uh, we got about 75 grand invested in these things. Yep. ATVs are big business here. The X4... I'm in retails for over 17,000 new off the lot. In the North Country, riding is bringing new life and money into the once bustling mill town. But not everyone is happy with the change. We can't, like today, I can't be sitting outside with company. It's noisy. I just got this little window cracked over here and you can hear the noise. You can't have barbecues, enjoy, you know, We've lost everything, put it that way. The windows are closed from morning till night until they're off the trails. Then we open our windows if we want fresh air. You know? This is Word of Mouth. I'm Jimmy Gutierrez. Today is part of our series on the North Country. We're looking into a story that comes from oh so many listener questions we received on one topic, ATVs. You wanted to know, will the North Country emphasize a low-carbon future? How will it deal with noise pollution from ATVs? What does this mean for the culture? And more. Well, my question is, why the emphasis on ATVs for the North Country instead of, of a well-diversified 
and integrated and sustainable economy. I want to know if you can build a sustainable economy by undermining the quality of life that actually brought so many residents and visitors here in the first place for generations. I, my husband didn't buy land and build the house next, next to a state park to listen to motor, motors and to live by a motorized trail. Abby Ivanko lives in Gorham near Moosebrook State Park. Now, you might feel the need to dismiss Abby's not-in-my-backyard story, but just for a second, imagine... Would you want this by your home from May 23rd to November 4th, the, the warmest part of the year when you want to be outside, get fresh air... I met Abby in the backyard of Audrey Alpert's home. That's her friend. It's maybe 60 feet from the trailhead Ray Bergeron and I drove on. Most riding weekends, there could be anywhere between 800 to 1,000 riders passing through this area. This weekend, organizers expect two to 3,000. And this spot, the famous Route 2 parking lot, is the most southern access point to the state's Ride the Wild Trail. That's 1,000 miles of interconnected ATV trails all across Coas. There's been a lot of reporting on this controversy, and the trailhead specifically. NHPR's news team examined this recently in a series called Off-Road, looking at the community impacts of this expansion. But for Abby and people that live close, there's still a big part of it we're getting wrong. That includes reporting NHPR did a couple years ago. They came up here and they talked to some people who live on Route 2 that's now open to ATVs, and the title was Culture Wars. And that's just wrong, because... Several people who live along the ATV trail in Gorham own and ride ATVs. So it's about where the trails belong. They just, when you're at home, you, you don't want to have this noise, you know, cutting into your yard, into your house. Um, we should not be everywhere. We do not want to be everywhere. Um, riding roadways actually is not fun for us. Um, we really want to be off of the roads, in the woods. Steve Cloridi is the president of the Androscoggin Valley ATV Club. He's an ideal diplomat for any riding club. He matches his enthusiasm about the future of riding in Coas with concern for those who live by the trailhead. OHRVing, um, the way that it took off, like I said, really starting in 2013, 2014, um, was unanticipated by a lot of the community and by the clubs. Um, and so the amount of activity, um, we really had no way to gauge what impact that was going to have on a community. By community, he means both the effect of those living on Route 2 and also the local economy. So by um, opening a roadway, so it was really like flipping a light switch. The housing market went crazy and businesses started taking off and um, the events became a lot more successful because it was just so welcoming to the OHRV community. Steve moved to Berlin from the Lakes region in 2013, right as the Ride the Wilds Trail opened. He bought a three-family rental property it needed a lot of work, but he saw a convoy of riders in his rear view. Riders who would love the chance to drive from their driveways straight onto the trails. If you look at um, the values of our properties now, my $20,000 building is probably worth about $80,000. And that's just from 2013. In addition, we've seen the rents go up. Uh, a unit that I used to get $550 a month for that included heat and hot water, uh, now I get $750 a month. There's another part of the U.S. that opened up their land to riding, converting old coal mining territory into a trail system, and that's the mountains of West Virginia. 
The Hatfield and McCoy Trail first opened in 2000 with 300 miles of trail. The Hatfield-McCoy Trail system is one of the most well-known riding areas in North America. They're constantly growing and expanding. And this in his first five years, an estimated 25 million was injected back into the local economy. Last year in West Virginia, 50,000 trail permits were sold, 80% coming from out of state. That same 80%, that's how much of New Hampshire's ATV trails fall on private land. I was told around the opening of the Hatfield and McCoy trails, Coa saw a jump in ATV permits, but they didn't have anywhere for them to go, and definitely not a trail system like down south. Bob Danderson was the mayor of Berlin back then, and he had an idea. He knew the town was sitting on an underused 230-acre city-owned park centered on Jericho Lake. He combined that with an abutting 7,200 acres from the state, town and state working together they created a rider's paradise, Jericho Mountain State Park. It's opening day here, opening weekend. Um, you got ATVs pretty much everywhere. Uh, it's kind of a scene. And we're gonna go talk with some of the organizers of this event and, uh, and see how the day's going so far as they're just getting kicked off. Walking up to the sign and tent, there are dozens of pickups with trailers. There's a fleet of dirt bikes, ATVs, and side-by-sides. License plate dot the Northeast from New York to Maine. A lot of people have come together to make this day happen, but so much of the credit has to go to Paula Kinney. Okay, hi, I'm Paula Kinney. I'm the executive director of the Androscoggin Valley Chamber of Commerce. And today is opening weekend here in Berlin, and we're holding a redneck poker run just to welcome everybody back. Paula could be considered the ATV ambassador of COAS. She believes the county is just scratching the surface of its true riding potential. She grew up with ATVs in her family. But back then, they were just functional, used for hauling lumber or food, anything too heavy to carry. You could get in and out of the woods, places your truck couldn't. There was less acceleration, less top speed, no such things as high-end suspension or bucket seats. And if you went for a longer ride, you would feel it the next day. Riding was just different. It wasn't so family-oriented and girls driving and the women out there and the grandparents with the kids. You know, the side-by-sides have really, really changed it. In 2003, the Yamaha came out with the Rhino, the first side-by-side designed specifically for recreation. It was the luxury sedan of ATVs, jump-started the whole industry. Because while side-by-sides were booming, ATV sales were dropping. Paula, who grew up in town, grew up next to the Brown Company paper mill. She had a front-row seat to what a changing economy looked like, while the mill struggled to stay afloat, changing ownership time and time again. After 20 years working at a manufacturing plant, she, like so many hundreds of mill workers in town, was laid off and had to figure things out on the fly. I was like kind of devastated when I lost my job after 20 years. It's all I really knew. I worked in a manufacturing plant. Um, I was a secretary for it, but still, I saw all those women lose their job. They were all hard-working women, but that's what they knew. They knew how to do manufacturing work, so it was a little scary. And I remember Walmart opening at the time when GAM was closing, and a lot of my people ended up at Walmart. I saw that happen. Paula started volunteering with the local Chamber of Commerce. She would organize garage sales, bake sales, anything to bring in new money. Eventually, the Chamber offered her a paid position. Then she became its executive director. I wasn't sure if what Paula loves are ATVs or how much they've done for Berlin and Coas. But one thing was clear. The folks who came out on opening day Oh, yeah. Love to ride. Yeah. As, as much as we can come up here, we're, we're up here doing this. 
almost every weekend and uh, from Memorial Day right up until uh, Columbus Day we're doing this. This yeah. is Greg Miller. Three generations of Millers drove up from Salisbury, New Hampshire this morning, including his wife Kim. Our kids just went by on two other wheel, four, uh, four, four buggies that we bought. And we bought so it's us, our, our two kids, their spouses, and our four grandkids that do this. So yeah. it's a yeah. family affair. Yeah. You guys have no concerns, like you said, grandkids and kids and everything like that are in the, in the buggies. You're like, they got our, this. We have an 18-month-old granddaughter that she actually started riding last year. Um, she's right behind yeah. us. and. Um, she, when these in things start like up, this. they're running. They, yeah. they know they get their helmets on, their goggles on. Yep. A lot of people might be thrown off seeing an 18-month-old with her little helmet poking out from the back seat. Some riders told me that they did have concerns about the age of riders. As of right now, kids as young as 12 can ride on approved state roads without a license. That's if they've taken a safety class and they're with an adult. At 14, they can drive by themselves but need a licensed adult close by. To state the obvious, this is years before they're legally allowed to drive a car on that same exact road with a license. For Paula Kinney, these are small details that need to be ironed out so they can keep building paradise. But it all comes down to, though, the cash registers are ringing. <laughs> I'm sorry, economic development. I took my husband for a ride in Gorham last night. I said, come with me. I got to go take pictures of the hotels, the restaurants. And he goes, you're crazy, what are you doing? I said, it's economic development. I just gotta keep, I take pictures of it. I keep showing people what it's doing. The thing is, Coas and New Hampshire has been through this before. There was a debate about land use, noise pollution, and motors 40 years ago. That's when snowmobiling took off in New Hampshire. Residents complained that out-of-town riders drove in, made all kinds of noise, ignored property rights, and destroyed precious snow-covered crops. The riders also had to figure out how to share space with non-motorized outdoorsy types like cross-country skiers and hikers. Uh, snowmobiling exploded years back, and they had to they had to get a harness on it. They had to they had to you know put a leash on it and reel it in and get it organized. And it's a very organized thing now. This is Bobby Roderick. He says volunteers were crucial to the sport's growth. They heard landowners' concerns and other outdoor rec sports too. And today, there's 7,000 miles of trails throughout New Hampshire. Bobby is a member of the White Mountain Ridge Runner Snowmobile Club, and they work every year maintaining the local trails, doing some of the same things they did all those years ago. So we maintain them in the summers. We brush them, clear them, rebuild bridges, make sure culverts are clear, signage, proper signage, so that snowmobilers who come here and from all around have some safe riding on our trails. And our trails are almost second to none, as we're pretty proud of how we maintain them as well. Everyone close to the ATV scene, proponents and opponents alike, know the area's top asset is its wilderness, the natural landscape and scenic views. Bobby thinks that one way or another, this whole issue, this whole ATV mess, has to figure itself out. It's too big of an opportunity not to. This is as big as... Sturgis is to motorcycles in the country, we're getting known as a destination. We're, we're swamping the Hatfield and McCoys down mid-states. We're, we're on the map for what we do here as ATV. So Berlin community is very, very proud. We are one of the first and only communities to allow ATVing all through town. We were never notified as abutters by the town or the state that we were going to have these on the machines going by the house. This is Sandy Lemire. She lives in Gorham, a few hundred feet from the Route 2 trailhead. To her, ATVing and snowmobiling is not a fair comparison. 
Snowmobiling happens in the winter months, when people are indoors, windows closed, and you won't find as many snowmobiles rumbling down Main Street. When I met Sandy, we sat on the porch of her home. It's the house her father built in 1942, the same year she was born. And it's amazing what it was like then versus what it's like now. There is no comparison at all, at all, at all. The neighborhood has changed in so many ways since Sandy's childhood. That includes the side street I parked on next to her house, which didn't even exist. Uh, we go down that little patch of grass and rocks and whatnot, and we cross the barbed wire fence and go chase the cows and the bulls. <laughs> My mother used to get so upset with us because we ruined so much clothes. <laughs> Back then, a few passing trucks were loudest. Sandy's now retired, and she's gotten used to the increasing traffic over the years. But the ATVs is a whole different story. She says her neighbors wake up gritting their teeth every morning. When I was at her house, it wasn't just the noise of the ATVs passing by. There was a noticeable vibration. They literally work your nerves. Sandy says she's okay with the roads, even Route 2, being open to riders. Her beef is where the trailhead is located, right in the middle of her neighborhood creating a constant stream of riders feet from her front yard. We, all we want is the trail moved out of our neighborhood, but it's like we're asking them to shut down all the trails. The ATV riders will even tell you that, oh, you want to shut down everything. No, that's not what we want. We want the trailhead moved out of our neighborhood. There's got to be a better place for it. Last year, neighbors reached a breaking point. Yeah, we're at this point now where the town doesn't listen, the state doesn't listen, nobody cares. But we're not giving up. We're continuing to fight. We want our neighborhood back. That's what we want. We want our peace and quiet. What it's going to take, I don't know. But we are going to trial in October. Sandy, along with 12 other residents, filed a lawsuit against the town. They want the town to enforce its zoning ordinance and remove the trailhead completely. At a point in my interview with Sandy, I felt guilty asking her to tell me about life on the trail. At times, she was shaking, bottom lip quivering with frustration, and she anxiously rubbed her hands together. She says with the lawsuit in the air, she feels targeted. Uh, last summer, I was mowing my lawn, and I'm going to be doing that there now that it's dried up. I was mowing the lawn, and um, I was coming up towards the, the sidewalk, and this ATV, he must have known who I was, slowed down, almost stopped, looked at me, gave me the finger, and took off. There has been some support, even from riders. Last summer, a Berlin resident who frequently rides past her home told Sandy she didn't know how bad things were until she read about it in the local paper. She told Sandy she was rooting for her to win the lawsuit. If I had to say my piece, I would say the town officials, the state officials, come down to our neighborhood, spend a day with us, see what we have and hear what we have to put up with. Then you'll know what we're talking about. But don't tell us in Concord that you know what we're doing or what we have to go up, go, go through. You don't know unless you come here. I, I don't know. Anyway. And that's not 30 miles an hour. Yeah, it, you know. Steve Claridi, the president of the local ATV club, calls places like Route 2 and Gorham hotspots, places where there's embedded friction over the trails and residents' quality of life. And in some of these places, these hotspots, the story is playing out differently. Residents feel like they're finally getting their neighborhoods back after some local select boards have shut down roads to riding. 
We had a, a letter from another couple on Page Hill Road who said, yes, you guys made a really hard decision and we appreciate it. We're going to look forward to the peace and quiet of the summer. That story when word of mouth continues. Gas. Fill my car with gas. You know, G-A-Z instead of gas. That's it's the French accent comes out in the people, the older people in town. But that's changing too. There's not as many of them anymore. Maureen Petrie in Berlin. See, Franglish. It's French and English mixed. So it's almost like Berlin had their own language, the French people, and they mixed it together. But people in Berlin understood what everyone was talking about, but you go outside of Berlin, or you go up to Canada, go to Montreal, and it's a totally different French. <laughs> e, I don't sentence how, e, e cow, e crow, <laughs> e ma taunt, you know, trip over the street, e ma taunt, used to express surprise. That's, some, that's a Berlin thing. You're listening to the North Country series on New Hampshire Public Radio. Welcome back to Word of Mouth. I'm Jimmy Gutierrez. We're continuing our look into ATVs in the North Country in Groveton on Lost Nation Road. Okay, so this is um, the home of Michael and Nancy Phillips, and we call it Heartsong Farm. And here's where I have Lost Nation Orchard. There's there's three acres of organic apples, and we grow medicinal herbs. And You can almost hear Michael Phillips' big white beard as he talks. The earth matted on his worn blue jeans is the same earth under his nails. Thirty years ago, the couple found an abandoned barn settled between mountains and a babbling brook in the North Country. They've been here ever since. We're surrounded by state forests. Cape Horn is, is over there to the west, and the Kilkenny Range, the National Forest, is up above. And so there's lots of forest around, lots of birds, peace and quiet, and the occasional ATV. About eight years ago, the abutting towns and villages of Northumberland, Lancaster, and Groveton agreed to open Page Hill Road to ATVs. This would, in effect, connect the towns of Groveton and Lancaster and open up the area to riding the same way Berlin connects to Gorham and beyond. The problem was the connector ran right through this neighborhood. There were lots of promises about this is just temporary. In a year or two, maybe three years, we got plans. We know how we're going to get through the woods. We're going to have another, a real trail, and we won't be on the roads. The area in and around Groveton is generally more wet than further south more sensitive ecology, and not ideal for ATV trails, expecting to see hundreds of riders per day. This places more reliance on roads for riders. A few months ago, the local select board closed the connector, cutting off the trail access south of Groveton. But as ATV momentum picks up around the area, the potential to jumpstart the economy of another old mill town means the connector may not stay closed. The majority of our neighbors out here lost nationwide don't want ATVs coming right by their property and disturbing the neighborhood the way that it does. And, 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 and I'll be honest, you know, right now we're on the level of maybe two, three hundred ATVs a day on a busy weekend, which is nothing like up north where it's 800, 1,000. But knowing what's up north and what could happen here if this idea of an ATV economy as our, our last salvation takes hold, um, I mean, that would just destroy the dream that Nancy and I had and, and everyone else who, who's moved here and lived here for years and years. When I talked with Michael, we were in his 30-foot yurt. This is a meeting spot for participants who come out to the farm for workshops on organic agriculture, healing herbs, and Nancy's Radiant Women Weekends. 
He says he hasn't noticed if fewer people are visiting the orchard, but he does know that the retreat numbers drop during summer weekends. And he pushed back on the idea that opening up the North Country to riding is an economic silver bullet. Sure, he says, gas stations, hotels, and ATV shops will see a boost, some restaurants too. But he thinks the area has lost other tourists because of the shift. But the other big issue is it takes a lot of money to maintain trails that are destroyed by machines whose one of their functions is to destroy ecosystems. I'll just be blunt about it. Eight years ago, right around the time Page Hill was open to riding, Michael was elected to the local select board. He got involved because he felt like those early conversations were missing a voice. When I feel strongly about an issue and my neighbors feel strongly about an issue and it's difficult as a resident to go to a select board meeting when 50 or 60 ATVers have come and speak up and say, I really am not happy about this. I mean, I'll do that role as a select person, someone sitting up there at the table. I've done that role. You know, we get letters written to the select board, and some are, I want to ATV. It's, it's now a five-year family tradition to get in our ATV and, and run to town and look at the covered bridge and then come home. And I think, well, we have like a 30-year tradition here on our farm where we listen to the birds sing. I mean, you know, the town of Grofton is not anti-ATV. Um, the selectmen are not anti-ATV. Um, but the landowners along Page Hill also deserve some quiet. Chris Wheelock is another member of the three-person Northumberland Select Board. He's talked directly with riders and clubs about what's up. Some of them he's known since kindergarten. This was a temporary access. We've asked for them to come up with a trail system that went through the woods. The state? Um, yeah, uh, no, the, the towns and, okay. the, and the ATV clubs. Okay. Um, the clubs are ultimately the ones responsible for finding a, for finding a trail. There are three clubs in the area, North Country ATV, the Stratford Gateway Trail Riders, and the Kilkenny Club. Um, they're the ones that go out and knock on the homeowners and the landowners' doors and ask for permission to run across their property. It's, it's kind of one of those things where it's you got to go to the town office, you got to get tax maps, you got to find these people. Um, it's a lot of online searching. This is Bob Reynolds, and he says he's put in over 100 hours in the past year trying to keep roads open. I work at Dalton Mount Motorsports. I'm the parts manager here, and I also am involved with the Kilkenny Trail Riders. Uh, I am the trail, mo- uh, trail boss for that club. Bob rode motocross for 25 years. He was even three-time Vermont champ. He's also broken 16 bones, including both femurs, and was temporarily paralyzed for four months after a crash. But even with all the injuries, you can't keep him away from motors. A second date with my fiance is probably one of the best rides I've ever been on. Uh, I had a side-by-side at the time. You know, we, it was just a great summer night, sunset, the whole deal, you know, the whole story there. I'm saying if she's, you know, into this, then she's, you know, this maybe she's the one. And just after that day, I just knew. I just knew. And that was uh, five years ago. Well, six years ago now in July. So uh, we're getting married this July. And it was, it's awesome. Bob gets as excited when he talks about the Ride the Wilds trails. Those are the thousand miles of interconnected trail systems, something he worries about losing with the recent road closures. 
For him, he sees a North Country that could become a rider's paradise. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is, we have something very unique um, that's not, I mean, this is the best riding on the East Coast. When I first called the shop to talk with Bob, the line was busy. He was on the other line with a group of 15 from New York. They wanted to come up for the weekend. Then he told them that Page Hill and Lost Nation Roads were closed. It's, it's disappointing to hear from a business standpoint for these people that have the hotel and um, that a group of people from New York, uh, which can't ride side by side, sides over there, it's illegal to ride there because of the weight. They don't want the weight of these vehicles on the trail in New York. They drive six to eight hours to come over and have a good time and ride, pay room and meals, uh, pay gasoline, pay registrations to the state of New Hampshire. And they basically went somewhere else. Bob has lived in the area his whole life. His dad worked over 40 years in the Groveton Mill, and he worked there 13 years until it shut down in 2007. The thought of losing business, paying customers in Groveton, defunct Milltown, population 1100, is something he just can't accept. You know, some people think, you know, this is a burden and it's, and it's, a, it's a crime to some of these people. But on the other hand, you know, we're trying to make a living up here. Um, and that's kind of how I see it. Uh, we need to move on. You know, the paper mill is gone. I'm on plan B here. This is, this is what we're doing. There are residents on Page Hill and Lost Nation that bought into the neighborhood so they could take off right from their homes onto the trails. Chris Wheelock from the Select Board says some businesses have told him they've taken a hit. And Bob's not giving up on Paradise. I also talked to residents that asked not to be recorded. They say they've spoken out at town meetings and have felt threatened and targeted for doing so. This includes Doug Menzies, who lives on Page Hill. He said when the roads were first opened, he was neutral on the issue. Then riders began speeding down Page Hill all throughout the night. The family's garden was constantly covered in dirt kicked up by ATVs. And one day, two years ago, a group of a dozen or so went by fishtailing. A side-by-side lost control, rolled onto its roof, and Doug had to help the rider out. He's spoken up at town meetings only to be shouted over. He says his concerns are always met with confrontation. The air stays thick in Northumberland's town hall when talking ATVs. The North Country has some big decisions to make. How many of its economic eggs will it put in the ATV basket? The over-reliance on one industry is a familiar story in Coas. And depending on that, is a low-carbon future a priority? Parts of the North Country have always been a tourist destination for non-motorized recreation. Yeah, now all I'm thinking about right now is ticks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything redeeming about ticks? I can't think of a single thing. Okay, that's this is two-term Coa State Rep and longtime reporter Edith Tucker. We're in the thickets heading to Coldbrook Falls in Randolph. I've learned, you know, you need to look back every so often. So when you come back down, you'll know which way to go. It's a small waterfall, maybe 20 to 30 feet. After I reached out to Edith about this story, she asked me to meet her here. We head up a dirt path and find a bridge extending over a brook. The bridge was a memorial to the town's centennial 100 years ago. 
On a rock, there's a worn plaque with the name Lewis F. Cutter. So this is my grandfather's name. Next to his, the name Eldridge H. Blood, the man who helped her grandfather design the bridge. The bridge is narrow. Even more narrow are the pillars, or piers, measuring two feet in distance from one another. It's a tight fit even for a radio reporter in his gear. And this is because motorcycles had become very popular in the 20s because of their use in World War I. And so Grandpa designed this so that motorcycles couldn't go over this and couldn't go on up the mountain because that was a problem. And somehow it worked out that over time, people saw where motorcycles should go and where they shouldn't go. And that's why I think there's sort of a lesson to be learned for ATVs. We're still in the early days of people coming up in numbers to be on ATVs. And we're going to have to work out up here in Coas where places that are where they're welcome and where they're not. Just this year, new legislation was proposed. It said that abutters would have to be notified before trails were opened up next to their homes. This wasn't the case in Gorham and throughout much of Coas. It would also require a public hearing with at least two weeks' advance notice. Abby Ivanko from Gorham said this wasn't a culture clash, pointing out lots of residents, even Sandy Lemire, owns an ATV. But that's not entirely true. I think in the long run, we're going to end up talking about distance and whether ATVs need to have unfettered thousand-mile access all at once, or whether we can have centers and places that are separate from residential neighborhoods. And, uh, but it's going to take time, and it's going to take some clever people who can facilitate the discussion. Edith doesn't think the state has the ability to fix this situation. That means it's going to come down to locals figuring this out in towns and neighborhoods and on the street. The North Country is grappling with the question it's faced a number of times in the last hundred years. From motorcycles to snowmobiles, now ATVs, if a defining part of the North Country is its landscape, is there room for everyone? And that is a wrap for Word of Mouth. Today's show was produced by me, Jimmy Gutierrez, with Justine Paradise, Ben Henry, Danielle Alley, and Sam Searles. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is a 1000S. Special thanks to so many people who helped me make sense of the story. That includes Ava Jackson, Barb Tetriolt, Jamie Sayan, and Clayton McDonald. Music in this episode was from Blue Dot Session and Young Carts. Our next episode on the North Country, producer Ben Henry is looking into internet access and what is the deal. You can go back and check out the rest of our series online at nhpr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Word of Mouth is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.